All right, I just want to say thank you guys for being here. Very, very much appreciate you being here. And um, we are um, going through different topics, different questions that people um, are asking. And um, what that means is that means that whoever the crowd is is going to bring up the questions on what you want the answers to, uh, which is good. Um, but uh, one thing that we really like, desire to do, and I'd say everybody in this room agrees with me, is we do want to speak very strong to the next generation. Just, I just want you to know that. So I, I just want to tell you that if, if I ever get a card that I sense is the next generation, you're going to get a download, and it might not apply to you because you're not dating. You know, those kind of things, if, if those are questions. But I'm going to give it to you, give it to all of you guys. Um, and I, I got a couple cards that were to the, from the next generation. I got all excited because I want the next generation in here. Um, I want you guys all in here. That's why I want everybody in here. But we want that next generation here because they're the ones that are being completely and entirely indoctrinated in our colleges. They're the ones that are being completely, entirely indoctrinated on what they believe, how they should believe, and they're even being oppressed in the process of doing, of doing that. So, um, so we might be going, and I'll just say that we are going to hit some areas that's just not going to apply to you, kind of maybe. Every single one of us have children, and every single one of us have grandchildren. So I'd say, yes, it does apply to you, but we definitely want to hit a lot of these questions that, uh, and I don't mean to apply to you and you because, you know, how do I say this nicely? You know, the generations. I'm talking to generations. What generations we're going to fall into? But um, so anyway, that's what we're going to do. I just put some questions out here. Now, I know that some of you guys are waiting for some hot topics um, and, uh, you, know, um, you know, some of the hot topics that are going in schools um, in regards to, um, you know, the race, the critical race theory, you know, those things. I just want you to know, you, we're going to talk about the, crit I had three questions on the critical race theory. I'm going to give an entire class on the critical race theory and what is being taught in the schools and how it is being taught and what we can do, what we can do about it um, in those kind of things. So I will get to those, those, those hot ones, but we just also want to go fast with absorbing these questions that people have. And again, you guys ask questions and you guys ask questions, yes, we answer them, but um, the class is ancient solutions to modern problems that if you do ask a question, I like to say, here's scripture. You know, that's what I just, I just, I love to say. And I can't always consistently say that if I'm just talking off the top of my head. I think it's all based around scripture, but you know, I just can't say here's scripture in regards to that. So here's a generation that um, is not children. I'll just say that. I'm sorry. It is children, but it's adult children. We'll just put it that way. Here's a question. Should we care for our elderly parents? So when you're looking at, um, when you're looking at um, this, yes, it's a child, but this is an adult. And it can be an adult for 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, 70-year-old. Should we care for our 90-year-old you know, parent you know, as things are coming in, in those things? So I just, this is what we had last week that we never made it to. But uh, just you know, to uh, um, read the passage um, right from Scripture to see what it says and then we'll look through it. First Timothy 5, 3 through 8 says, Honor widows, and who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn the practice of piety in regards to their family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in, in entries um, and prayer in night, night and day, sorry, and continues entries in prayer in night and day. But she who gives herself to the wanton pleasure is dead while, while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we can read that, and what does that say? Oh my goodness! Whew. Should we take care of our elderly parents um, that um, that are out there? I just want to put things into context um, before you know the question is even answered. Is that uh, America is different, um, and what I mean by uh, different than most of the world and even across history is that in the Bible, Peter had his mother-in-law live with him. 
what happens is that there's no, you know, there's no nursing homes back when Jesus was alive. There's nobody to take care of the elderly when they were alive. So what they would do is that you would have children, and there's an expectation that the children would then take care of the, their family. So they, they, would all live, they would all live together, and they all lived in this one house. So when we looked at Peter's house, we're talking about Peter's house where he had absolutely everybody in his house. Cultures do that and still do it. Mexico um, um, in, ends up doing it a lot, where there's just an explanation that, you know, yes, you take care of your aunts. Yes, you take care of your uncles. Yes, you take care of the immediate family because the resources that are out there that are not there to take care of the immediate family. Africa, and I work in Africa, they look at us and they say, I don't understand the wickedness of America. I mean, they have old elderly parents, and if they have elderly parents, they're not taking care of them. Well, the way that Africa functions is Ben Margai, who gets paid by the church, he makes a total of $600 a month on a salary. That's not his salary. His aunts, his uncles, his family all know that he makes that, so they all show up at his door, and there's an expectation that that is all distributed, you know, and taken care of. I mean, that's how aggressive Africa is right now, 2021, in regards to you take, you know, you take care of your family. You know, that's, that's the culture um, that is the culture that is there. So when I say that America, I'm just talking about culture, America is different than a lot of the rest of the world because we all have the, the, um, the, the, the um, understanding of what we should be doing or we're not doing or not in those things. As we're, as we're taking, what resources do we have out there? And what are we dealing with? We have to talk about the resources. We have to talk about what we deal with. If you read this passage, you will say, your parents should be taken care of. And you can go through it and say, okay, this is what is being said. But I do want to put it in the context. I'm just, in my opinion, you don't have to agree with me. Put it in the context of our culture. Put it in the context of our time. Put it in the context of the entire Bible, the entire Word of God. And uh, just put it in the context of taking this passage and then coming to a conclusion do we take care um, of our elderly parents? Um, so one thing that I just put in our notes is that um, are you in agreement with your mate? Um, uh, they live in a world, I mean, Africa lives in a world where you don't necessarily need to be in agreement with your mate because there's a dominant um, male society. The male does what exactly he is supposed to do. And then you got the male of the family, but then you also have the male dad and the males get in there. And yes, there's a lot of conflict that does take place. I believe that the Bible is very strong that you are one flesh, and if you were going to go to the mission field, and you say, God told me to go to the mission field, I would say, does your mate agree with you? <laughs> because I would be, say, if your mate doesn't agree, this is just me, you could disagree with me, if your mate disagrees with you, maybe God didn't tell you that you need to go to India, you know? I just think that we're so close to one flesh that it does bring an understanding of when we do reflect to our mate, should we do this, should we not do this, I think it carries power. I think it carries, I carry it strength because what happens is that Satan will do anything to make that one flesh just, just ripped to shreds. And inviting families into the home can easily do that. So I think it's a priority in just back of my mind. So you should ask that question. Are you in agreement with your mate? Um, I asked my wife that. I said, God is being called me into ministry. I said, you, are you in agreement with me? And do you know what she said? She said, no. I said, praise God, then I'm not going into ministry. That's just the way it is because of that agreement that takes place. Well, then God worked on her heart, and a week later she says, I can't, I got to do it with you. you know, so, so then that's why I ended up in ministry. But I think that that tight connection is a legitimate question just to ask and to talk over. And if you're not in agreement and you want it to take place, it's all right to continue to talk. It's all right to express your feelings. I really think that we should take care of my parents, but I think there has to be unity that has to take place. Is your elderly parents in agreement with being taken care of? <laughs> uh, I, that's, a legit, that's a legitimate question. You know, my um, mom um, said, you can take care of me until you have to wipe me, and then you will not take care of me anymore. But then she also says, do not send me to a nursing home. So we're like, okay, <laughs> I hope this never gets, to this never gets to this point. But there is reaction 
to parents in regards to this, where it can blow up, it can really blow up in, into families. It really can, you know, um, and it's not because of you doing the right thing. It's not because you look in the past and this needs to be done. It is just, you know, it's just they are reaction. They react, they react to it because it is a big step in regards to a reaction. Now, if you're back in the Bible days and you're back in Africa and even in Mexico, you don't have a choice. You, you, you don't have a choice. Um, in America, parents are thinking they have a choice and they have an option. Should I do this or should I do this? And so what you want to do is you want to nurture them in the process of making, in the process of making decisions. Um, are you um, and your elderly parent in agreement with the future reality? You always want to look at the future. You don't want to look at the moment. And uh, we had uh, um, this, even this last year, my daughter lives in San Diego, and, um, and she jogs on the boardwalk, and yes, I told her not to, and I said, you need to knock that off, because that's where a whole bunch of homeless people are, and uh, what she does is that she doesn't listen to me, she still jogs, and she gives people candy bars, and she gives people um, 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 Nutri-Grain bars and all that stuff, and she, she's connected with, with all the homeless down there so much that other people in the school are saying, here, Maddie, you going to jog here, take a whole bunch of this stuff, and then they start handing it down there, and, and she's really connected to this one lady, um, and in this, um, um, this, this lady um, that she was connected with, she just really loves, and she said, do you mind if we fly her to our house for Christmas? And uh, we said, absolutely, we'll fly her to our house, and then we shared Christmas, which, which was uh, um, a lot of fun. And, um, and she is older, 70 years, I'll just say she's 70 years old, 71 years old. Um, she is in not great health, and uh, we are concerned that she's just going to one day die in her car. That's just what we're concerned with. And so we want to prevent that. And we want to do everything in the world to prevent that. So we said, can we give you options? Can we look at some things? Can we do some things that would take care of you, that would, um, that would, um, that would allow everything to be okay? And, um, and so, you know, she um, did say yes, but she had all these things that were very, very powerful and strong. Don't do this, don't do this. This is going to take place. It's gonna, I mean, it's all these things. And so when you start looking at the future, just like we just said, you know, we'll probably take care of you until the end. If we're going to take care of you to the end, you know, Medicare is $100, you know, a, a month that you can afford. You know, can we do that? Absolutely no. You're trying to control me. All of a sudden we look back and whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, she is not in agreement with it. <laughs> and uh, as we looked at the whole situation, there is a very aggressive passion that she was never in agreement with doing it, which is okay, but we didn't know that until it all unfolded. And when it all unfolded, she was not in agreement with the future reality for her to be taken care of, so it was literally impossible for us to take care of her, period. It was literally impossible for us to take care of. So when you're talking to your parents, there's going to be, if you're going to go all the way to death, there's going to be a transfer of funds going to you and not them anymore. So, I mean, those are things to say, are we in agreement with as we're walking towards this situation? Are we in agreement with this, in agreement with? You know, there's a process that takes place since there is so many different options. So I think it's a legitimate question to ask, are your elderly parents in agreement with future reality? Therefore, future reality should, you know, it would be healthy to be um, discussed. And then, then the other question is, are you strong enough physically, emotionally, relationally, and economically to, to even do it, to even do it as well? That's a legitimate question. People are living to 90 years old. That means 70-year-old people are taking care of people that they can't lift. I mean, it's just, that's just a reality. My mom uh, took care of my dad for 25 years with a major stroke, and my dad was a pretty big guy, and she could not lift them at all. Um, and I don't know how many times she called the fire department in those 25 years, but you're probably looking over 100 times. You know, my dad, is, my husband has fallen, he's by the toilet, my son's out of town, I need help. You know, just those kind of things. And, um, and the fire department knew her by name, but they consistently came and says, you, you know, you gotta do, you gotta do something. And we were in steps of doing something right before my dad um, passed away. But that's a legitimate question. Am I strong enough economically? Am I strong? Am my back strong enough? Am I going to go under as a result of um, my elderly parent in this process? Because it is a, it's a huge commitment. It's a strong commitment um, and, and very hard. So you see a very aggressive passage. Take care of them. So the answer is take care of them 
under the process of all the resources that you have and discuss all the resources of what you have, discuss what they want, discuss what you want, and then make decisions. And if, if you make a decision, yeah, I'm going to take care of them, and they're in agreement with taking care of them, that's the best thing that's according to this verse, but it's not the best thing for every single family that's out there. And uh, that's just my answer. You can disagree with me, you know, on that, but looking at the verse and how the systems are set up, America, you know, we can be mad at America, but America has designed a system that does allow a lot of different options. Those options might be unacceptable to parents, but even parents are observing this, the options in the systems, and they need to be discussed about. Before I would encourage you to discuss them before everything is is done um, um, in making those decisions. So, I'm gonna each question that I'm gonna give. I'm just gonna quietly move to the next. If you have a question on it, just raise your hand. I'm not going to stop and say any questions. Um, I'm just going to say, if you have a question on it, just go ahead and raise your hand, and then we'll, I'll just stop and then, and then move on. Um, and that was a longer answer because that was the one I was going to talk about next week. Here's a question. What pronouns do you use for a transgender friend? Uh, very good question, and I do not have scripture on the base of it because I'm just going to, I'm just going to answer, answer the question. Um, I would encourage you, avoid using a pronoun. If you must, use their name. A pronoun says, I agree with the lie that you live. I mean, that's, that's what you say. I completely and entirely agree with the lie. If you use a male name for a lady, you're not just coming boldly out and say, I agree with the life that you live. So I would just encourage you to just you know, avoid it altogether. <laughs> I, I, would, I would just not even talk about it. Just, you know, just avoid it altogether. Um, and, and, and don't even bring it up and move on and see how things go. Um, you know, my um, youngest daughter has dealt with that with her best friend. And uh, she goes, I don't even know how to behave. And, you know, we've kind of went through it. And it's like, well, you know, just keep on moving through life. I mean, loving her. She's not a believer. She's not a Christian. She needs Jesus. We need to, we need to love her. But we also don't want to um, lie <laughs> and believe that, you know, not, you know, and so we don't want to make, want to make those statements. Okay, do we uh, call our transgender friends by their preferred names? Um, <laughs> if you look at the consistency that is there, avoid using their names. I said use their names at the top. I said avoid using their names if you must use their name. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of how it works. Where are you going to lean on? What are you going to do? How are we going to make this work? It's hard. It is difficult. And, um, and it's going to get a lot more difficult for the church and the laws that are being passed now because it's turned it into, this is a racial issue, not, um, not a biblical issue, not a sin issue. This is a racial issue that is taking place, and there's no protection that is being pushed now. There's no protection of the church in regards to this. And, uh, and that um, is going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting as we're walking into this kind of world that we are living in, but we don't want to um, live a lie. And, uh, and, and we'll shout it from the mountaintops that males are males, females are females. It's not in regards to our, it's not in regards to our choice. It's not in regards to our decision. It's not in regards to that at all. That's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says it is an abomination. Therefore, if it is an abomination, what are we supposed to do as a church? We're supposed to, to help them <laughs> in the process of, of healing them and making them uh, understand what is going on, making them understand their sin and, and, and bring a confession to renew them into a, a person that um, is saved by the blood of the Lamb and is born again where the past is gone and the new um, has, been, has come. So I'd like to say don't use the pronouns. I'd like to say call them by name, um, but what's going to happen is you're going to start a a conflict every time that you, you see them. And they're your friends. Conflict every time that you see them. And I don't want to give a lot of details because, you know, we live in it right now. But um, um, through the people that we know that are not inside the church that are dealing with this have leaned, I'm going to say on us, but I'm going to say as a family, has leaned on us for help as they're dealing with the situation. And they would not lean on us 
for help or even talk to us or even be connected with us if we just said, I, I got an issue over this pronoun and I'm never, or, an issue over your name and I'm never going to change it. it. It would. It would just be, it'd be like, okay, I'm done with you. You're over. It's, I have no ministry with you. You know, I'm shutting things off. And I believe as a church, as people of Christ, we can't, we can't do that. Um, even if it is an abomination. And what I mean by even if it is an abomination is that um, Jesus was having dinner with the Pharisees. And a prostitute walked right in the door. And she was an absolute abomination to the Bible. And the Pharisees did what? Told her. <laughs> you know, this is an abomination, Jesus. You would even talk to this woman. But then what did Jesus do? He talked to her. He healed her. He saved her. So we can say it's an abomination, and that's going to be our, our drive. That's going to be our passion. It's going to be our mission. Um, and, and we have Scripture to produce that. We have Scripture to show that. It's abomination. Keep everybody out. Keep everybody those things. But when Jesus, he wasn't shocked over sin, and he wasn't shocked over tax collectors. He wasn't shocked over, I don't know how many times the Bible used prostitutes. Um, I, I, the prostitute is just consistently mentioned in the Bible, and it's consistently mentioned unto Jesus' connection with them. In fact, you just look at him and says, he's just a friend of the tax collectors and the prostitutes. You know, that's, that's scripture that, that he is. Um, and so how can we deny, yeah, we can never deny that it's an abomination, but how do we deny that Jesus connected um, with, with, um, with those? Um, how do you make a first impression of loving Christians without accepting their sin? Great Great question. So the question that, that does come out, how do you um, make a first impression? I just will tell you I'm thrown off a little bit by first impression because the first impression is when you first, when you first see them. So and when, you, when you first see them, don't make evaluations of them. You're supposed to love everybody. You don't even know they're Christians. I mean, if the first impression is, is just love to everybody. Is, and that's what we are. We are completely supposed to pour out our hearts to absolutely everybody in the church family. And I believe we're supposed to pour out our hearts to everybody that's even outside the church family. And the first impression that you should have over everyone is, hey, I love you. Thank you so much for coming. Rather than an evaluation, do you have a sin? And um, do I'm going to have to deal with the sin? You know, and, and almost viewed through with that sin. Um, you, we can't view people in regards to the sin. We have to view people in regards to, you know, who they are. So when it comes to first impression, absolutely, this is the first impression, is you just love everybody. And evaluations um, should never take place, um, even if, you know, a gay couple even walks, you know, in the door. Yes, there's an evaluation that takes place. But right now, we do not know if they know Christ at all. And so you, we, don't, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's taking place. So, you know, what are we going to do? Are we gonna, okay, before you guys come to church, I need you to go to my office. We need to have a discussion. I don't know who you are. Let me introduce myself. But this is what is not, you know, acceptable. You know, just those things. It's just, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot of work. But to put this thing under the context of what is somebody, I'm gonna, how do you make a, an impression on loving a Christian? I'm going to pick first impression now. Loving a Christian without accepting their sin. So in other words, you and a Christian are next to each other, and there is a monster sin that is just right there in front of you. How do you deal with that? I just, I'd bring up Matthew 18. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've done what? Praise God, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen, Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now that's a very, um, I would not say controversial verse, but it is a verse that drives church discipline um, that takes place. Now, a lot of people might disagree with me, you know, in this regard. And remember how this works. You guys can disagree with me all you want. You know, you guys can. It's all right. You know, we all gonna, you're always going to disagree. But it's a, it's a passage that drives church um, discipline. Is what you do is you, you tell them first, 
and then you tell them what the witnesses, and then you take them to the church, and if they don't do it, then you, know, then you treat them as a tax collector and a, a pagan. I'm going to tell you where I stand, is that I don't want to be a sin manager, and, uh, because that's a full-time job, and I'll quit within a year. <laughs> no, I don't even give me a year. I'll quit within six months. So I look at people, and every single one of us has sins. All of a sudden, I'm a pastor, and it's like, you know, we need to do church discipline. We need to watch here in, this, you know, in, in regards to making sure that people are, are disciplined in regards to their sin. Therefore, the pastor needs to watch like a hawk. And of course, he has a sin life saved by the blood of grace, and, and then all of a sudden, I see somebody else sin, so I'm like, okay, that sin's worse than mine, so what we're going to do is we're going to take the church, and then all of a sudden, well, he carries power, and then the other person carries power. As well. So then you get all these powerful positions that are taking place, and this church literally turns into a, a massive sin management machine, and I don't even know where the gospel would land if that took place. I would be in the back door <laughs> because you can only be a gospel preacher or you can be a sin manager. That's it. And what I mean by a gospel preacher is there's only one person that's going to change your heart in regards to sin. And it's going to be changed in the heart of the ground zero at the gospel. And when the gospel is consistently sent out, I'm praying that people hear it. I'm praying that people embrace it. I'm praying that people be convicted by it, that they receive it, and sin would literally be rooted out of their life. That's what I'm, that's what I'm praying that takes place in the powerful gospel. Rather than say, okay, let me evaluate sins, let me manage sins, let me discipline sins, let me walk through sins and, and, and do this. The reason why I stand that way is because I believe that the verse says that. <laughs> the verse that says church discipline and the use for church discipline, I believe is still a gospel-centered preaching church. Um, What do you mean it's a gospel preaching church? You say, go and take your sin against your brother, take him in front of two witnesses, and then take the matter uh, to the church, and then what to do with them. The interpretation of church discipline is you treat them like a pagan and you treat them like a tax collector, and that interpretation is that you kick them out. What did Jesus do with tax collectors? What did Jesus do with pagans? Did Jesus, did Jesus kick them out? That's, I mean, that's, that is an issue. I mean, it is an issue. It says you're supposed to treat them like a pagan and you're supposed to treat them like a tax collector. That means that somebody who is absolutely messed up that does not know Jesus. And what are we supposed to do with somebody who is absolutely messed up and not know Jesus? We're supposed to throw them out on the streets? No, we're supposed to say, oh, that person doesn't know Jesus. And then we could get into the doctrine, like, okay, that person doesn't know Jesus, that person doesn't know Jesus. Do we not know Jesus because of their sin? You know, so you're moving into the other questions. Let me put this in perspective in regards of sin and not knowing Jesus. Ask the question, what is your first love? And it's all based around it. Two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love others, as your, love others as yourself. You have two commandments that are there. What is your first love? Your first love is God. And what happens is that we prostitute ourselves out to other things. That's what takes place in our world. Our first love God, and we prostitute ourselves out um, to other things. That's just what, that's what we end up doing. Now, it's a serious offense, we'll put it that way. Serious offense. Let me just put this offense in perspective. If I went to my wife and I said, you know, I've really enjoyed our marriage, um, but I have a girlfriend. Sorry. <laughs> I have a girlfriend, and, um, and I want her to move in with us. <laughs> it's not taking place. I'm not confessing sins. But just, I'm just trying to put things in perspective. I love you. Thank you for the 25 years of your marriage, but I have a girlfriend, and I want her to move in with us. And, um, and I wonder if, we can, if you would be able to um, accept that. What would take place with my wife and my relationship? Just ask a basic question. What would take place? It would be on the rocks. I mean, I'm sorry. It would be, it would be struggling. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be, you know, common sense here. It would be struggling to the umph degree. So here we are saying, God, you're my first love. And I got a whole bunch of prostitutes I want to bring inside of it. And I want to put those prostitutes in with you. That's exactly how Scripture, you're the, we're the bride of Christ. This is how Scripture works. I want to take all these prostitutes, and I want to bring them in with you. And then all of a sudden you hear these words go through Scripture. I am a jealous God, 
Stop the idolatry. The Scripture's just screaming it, and he uses the word of calling us an adulterous generation. Why are we called an adulterous generation? It's because we have loves that are way over him. And since we have loves that are way over him, we're asking him to allow us. I gotta watch out what I say, because, I mean, just as aggressive, to literally be in bed with us. I mean, I'm looking at God. He is my life. He is my king. He is my, I'm his bride in regards to the bride of Christ. And we have this relationship and we demand God to accept loves, our loves, over his relationship. There is going to be a relational struggle with you and God. I just want you to know if that takes place, that that takes place. Therefore, what should you do? We as a church should go to people and say, there is something that you are accepting, and I use the passage, or something that you're accepting that is wrong. Then go in between the three witnesses and say it's wrong, and then, and then literally say, the church says it's wrong too for the purpose of saying, your love is, be, a love is triumphing way over Christ, and you have chosen it over God, and we want to help you get out of it. Choosing a love over God is dangerous, deadly. It's exactly what Judas Iscariot did. He was the money collector. And as he collected money, all of a sudden this money comes his way. He's walking right next to Jesus. He is saying the gospel to all the people on the streets. He is Jesus' disciple. I mean, he's the man. Judas Iscariot is the man. But little did everybody know that he was a money collector, putting a lot of money into his pocket. And one day, that money was threatened. It's when... Um, um, Mary, Mary Magdalene came in with her, her um, after um, the death of Lazarus and came in with that oil and, and dumped it over Jesus. And when he dumped it over Jesus, it just made Judas just completely pop, completely pop. What did he say? He said, do you understand how much money that is? Do you understand what you just did? That money could have fed the poor, meaning it could have gone into my pockets. His loves were all of a sudden threatened. And when his love was threatened, what did he do? He went in beast mode. <laughs> and he said, just give me money. I'm selling you Jesus. I'll give him to you. Because Jesus was not his first love. And as he walked for three years, he had a love on top of it. And then all of a sudden, we're threatened. There's going to be a threat. And we're going to choose, just like Judas chose. And as we're looking at choosing, we've got to ask the question, what is our first love? Because Christ has got to be that center. And people are living with other prostitutes with Christ. And we as a church... It's all right to say, <laughs> I want Christ to be your first love. I want Christ to be your first love. And your first love with Christ is threatening because you're choosing completely something contradictory to the Word of God. So that's how I perceive how things, um, things take place in regards to sin. No, I don't want to be a sin manager. I want you guys to find a love. And I want Christ to be your first love. And then you know what? If that takes place, I don't, nobody needs to be a sin manager. Why? Because everybody be growing into pillars of people who love Christ and root and sin out of their life as a motivation of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you being a believer and having the project and having the process done. I'm going to move to the next question. You guys can ask questions if you guys want. Oh, okay, question. Thank you so much. I'll give you a microphone one second. I'm sorry. Okay. We want to hear the question. I was just going to be super loud, but... Um, because I agree we shouldn't be sin managers. We have enough on our plate dealing with ourselves. But in this verse when it's saying, if your brother sins against you. So what we're talking about is mediation and how to deal with conflict with people. Mm -hmm. And that we, contrary to what's most comfortable, to go to other people and complain about what happened to us, that it's telling us you first have to go to them because that might be enough. Usually when we go and say, well, it really hurt when you lied to me about this, that might be enough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if it's, there's no response and you still need mediation, you need your witnesses. Mm -hmm. And if there's still no response, then you go to the next authority, which would be the church. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I would agree with that. And we can take that and complete, you know, looking at that word you, that's exactly what the verse is traveling through and it is there. If a brother sins against you, this is what you end up dealing with it so there will be unity in the, in the, brother, in the body um, in the body of, of Christ. Um, it does not give a lot of explanation in regards to you and give very specific an explanation. Um, and I would, 
I, you know, maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but I would stretch it. If your brother sins against you, a sin against me is a sin that they do. They're all against the church. They're against the body. They're against Christ. They're, exi- they're against everything. So when somebody sins, people, people literally pay. And so for me, if I, am, um, I would say that if, the way that I would take it, if, if I'm a friend with somebody who is um, um, transgender, and, uh, and that person I live with, or not live with, but walk with, talk with, um, I would t- take an offense at it as a result of their sin that has taken place. I would stretch it that when we sin against, if when we sin, we sin against God, and we sin against our church, and sin against others, and I'd use the passages in the Old Testament that of us working as a corporate body in regards to even Joshua, and somebody and made this lie, the whole body functioned against it. But um, I, do see your, um, I do see the mark, that word you is carrying um, a, very, um, uh, a very strong thing, and I would say that I'm stretching it a little bit. But I feel comfortable stretching it a little bit. Um, and also, with this piece that is in mind, it is the discipline, the church discipline piece, so I think that other people stretch that a little bit as well. And, um, but what you have said is you said it's very, very narrowed, and you're right. As is written, it, looks, it appears to be very, very narrow, so I would say, yeah, you, you, know, you have a good point, but I'm stretching it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I was going to relate. I remember one time I watched on the video, Ravi Zacharias was at a meeting and asked for questions. They were dealing with difficult topics, and one of the people in the audience began to press him to accept their sin situation, such as this. And in the end, he, he basically tried to hold back, but they kept pressing and pressing, and he finally said, we just need to back up a step, and I need to explain to you that my worldview is different than yours. And he began to talk about his Christian worldview, but then in the end, he went on to say that he was there to love that person and help them examine that sin in their life. Mm-hmm. So he had a very interesting approach that I thought was quite worthwhile. Yeah, that's, that's a good approach. It does say pretty heavy, you know, when it comes to judging, <coughs> judging your neighbors. You know, if I, like I've mentioned before, that if I judge you, it doesn't put me up here and it puts you down here. And then I, you know, say, you know, these pieces. And it says, you know, take the log out of my own eye before I start throwing stones and taking slivers out of other, other people's eyes, too. Is that um, um, we have a gospel that gives enough life that we don't have to intervene in every corner of people's life to give them life. We just don't. I mean, the gospel that was proclaimed in the book of Acts changed people's lives, completely entirely changed um, uh, people's lives. And even, even in the, the process of it changing people's lives, sometimes it was not even immediate. Now this is going to go into another area that's like, oh, what are you talking about? But if you look at the, the letters to Corinthians, you know, first and second Corinthians, that was a church that um, um, was struggling with a lot of moral issues. And as they're struggling with moral issues, Paul writes them and says, knock it off. This is how the pagans do it. You guys are a new body. You guys are absolutely different. And so he is, he is grieving over them, making strong statements, saying, you guys need to stop this with the purpose of the gospel getting in the center of, them, of, the, of, the, of those churches changing um, in those things. So... Um, I just, you know, I do agree with that, you know, the power of the gospel is like, what are we going to do? Are we going to try to get in the corners of people's life to make them alive and to make them love God more? Are we just going to shout from the top of our lungs, this is what Christ has done to a loser like me, and it's that gospel that has saved me, and we're all, <laughs> we're all messed up, and that gospel, if it's the center of your life, it will drive you a right, healthy, strong direction. And that's how I function in my mind in regards, in regards to that. So I agree with, I definitely agree with you here. The differences between being a Christian and being part of the Latter-day Saints. So I'm just going to answer that question because it can be answered. As a whole of Latter-day Saints, non-believers, Muslims, Mormons, the entire world, I'll just say there's a separation. There's a separation between Christianity and there's a separation between the entire world. <laughs> In other words, the entire, the entire world. So we'll ask the question, what is that one separation? Just give me that one separation between Christianity and every 
as Christianity in the sense of everybody going to heaven and everybody not going to heaven. What is that separation? This is what I'd say. Who is Jesus and what did he do? That's it. That's the only question I would ask and, and that puts everything into perspective because this is the argument that separates Christianity from all other religions, from, from everybody, is, is, our view on, is our view on Jesus. Um, John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then it moves to 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Satan only has one mission, and that's it. One mission. He wants us to take Jesus and warp that message and also warp him. That's it. That's, this is, this is the, the tip of the sword right here. And I would say it's the tip of the sword between us and, say, another religion. You know, we got um, Latter-day Saints. Now, I can go all the, the logistical pieces of Latter-day Saints, but the logistical pieces don't even make a difference compared to the ultimate logistical piece is, am I going to go to heaven because of what Christ did, or am I going to go to heaven because of what I do? There is even Protestant Christian churches that, you know, you go to heaven by what you do. Well, then they won't be Christian churches. I mean, so that's how you evaluate absolutely everything is to the one statement of who is Jesus and what did he did? What did he do? Jesus is God. Jesus, God, died. <laughs> that's radical. I mean, you, that separates absolutely everything. Everything is separated after a statement like that. Nobody... Um, Nobody on their way to heaven. No, I gotta say it backwards. Anybody who doesn't get to heaven, they're not gonna get to heaven on that one statement, and that's it. No matter what the religion is, no matter what anything is, this is the peace, and this is the argument, and this is why Jesus puts it, or the Bible, it says in every single book about who is Jesus, <laughs> the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God. It just says it in every single book. It was the largest argument in the book of Acts. Jesus is God, and Jesus died, and Jesus rose, and you could go to heaven because of him. That's it. And every single other religions that don't believe that, that's their mark. They could have a whole bunch of fluff, a whole bunch of stuff, but if they don't believe that, that's their mark. And if a Christian comes in and says, you know, Mike, I really don't believe you that Jesus is actually God, I would just literally say you're not on your way to heaven. <laughs> i just say it because you can't get to heaven by your life. Religion is building up a structure for the purpose of being accepted by God. That's what religion is. And all these different religions that are out there, you just have to ask the question, are they building up a structure so they will be acceptable to God? We are not acceptable to God without the gospel, the message. Jesus is God, Jesus died, Jesus rose. So evaluate everything in regards to that. Evaluate Christians in regard to that. Because I've had Christians say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. It's like, oh really, tell me about your faith. Well, you know, I'm a good person. I've been married for 30 years. And, and, uh, and then they're telling me how acceptable to the God they are. I'm like, huh, I guess I'm not a Christian. And uh, they look at me and say, well, why are you not a Christian? I say, because I'm not acceptable to God. And it's like, what do you mean? You say you're a pastor and then you tell me you're not a Christian? I go, if, Christian being, is it, if being a Christian is being acceptable to God because of what you do, then I'll be honest with you, I'm not a Christian. But if being a Christian is acceptable to God because of what he did, oh, I'm a Christian. That's where it's all at right there. And just make that your only argument. Make that, what are you going to do with Jesus? You start playing around with the virgin birth, <laughs> you're starting to play around about salvation message. You start playing around with, you know, you got to accept Jesus, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You start playing around with the, with, the, with, the, with the gospel message. So I would just say, point it really, really sharp right there. And this is the answer to all religions, atheism, the world, everything. What are you going to look at in regards to who is Jesus and what did he do? And we know that answer, right? 
Jesus is God. Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, putting all my sins on his shoulders, went to the grave, and now he's going to prepare a home for me. Because of that, I can be saved. That's Christianity. Questions? Can a Mormon date a Christian? The answer would be no. Um, and it would just be a, you know, we can say yes, but you're just going to go into a relationship of absolute destruction. <laughs> I mean, a, a relationship of absolute annihilation in about every single corners of your life. And the reason why is because Christianity touches every single corner of your life. It just does. When you become a Christian, it touches your worldview. It touches the way that you view how the world was created. It touches the way that you raise your children. It touches the way that you respond to your mate. It touch, Christianity carries the power to touch absolutely everything about you. And if you're not a Christian, the world and sin is going to touch everything that's the opposite, that's the opposite of it. So you and your mate will literally travel this way. I mean, that's just that's the way it is. And what we do is we, we, I talk consistently to people who struggle with being married to somebody that is not a Christian. And do you know what they do? They struggle. Because <laughs> they, they look at the world different. They look at the direction. They look at everything different. And as regards to everything different that they look at, they're just absolutely destroyed. We'll put it that way. And, and then even just working with 2 Corinthians, I mean, that's what the answer is. I'll just tell you, 2 Corinthians just tells you as well. Do not, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? The Mormon structure, no matter what is being said, the Mormon structure cannot embrace Jesus as God. They, they don't embrace Jesus as God. Um, you know the Servink project that has taken place down, down the street that took place yesterday? Um, it was something that JBC started in 2010. And JBC painted that school, and then the next year, JBC went into the community of Albany and said, we're going to paint all of them. We're going to paint every school in Albany. And what we want to do is we want to gather every single church in Albany that is a Bible-believing church, and we're going to bless this community like crazy. And so here's the next two schools we're going to get painted. We're going to get this painted and this painted. We're going to do two in one day. And I looked at my notes. We had 800 people show up the day to paint two schools within six hours. That's what the, that's what the goal was. They all organized, all taken care of. The church as a mob showed up and got this done. Well, guess who showed up and says we need to be leading part of this project? The Mormon church. So then we have to think of, well, wait a second. <laughs> What is the church? You know, what, what is the church? Because we're doing this project and the church is being seen and the Mormon church says we will be in the center of it. And so we said, okay, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we file a statement of what we are and who we are. So what do we do? We took the Apostles' Creed. Jesus is God. Mormons can't sign it because they denied their faith if they sign it. And so it was a struggle with the Mormons, and they literally said, well, we're not going to sign that, but we're going to do something outside. So it was, it was difficult going through this process of them wanting to jump on board with us, but the church, I'm going to go right back to this simple statement, Jesus is God, is there. That's the, that is a huge piece. So if Jesus is God, everything you look at is completely different, being a Christian, than if Jesus is not God. If he's a good prophet, he's a good man, he's a good teacher, great, but you're going to look at the world completely different. That's just what happens. So I would go down to that, can you date a Mormon? It would be no. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he's a great prophet. The Muslims believe that he's a great prophet, and I don't understand why, but the Jews are all right with him as well, and that doesn't make any sense to me as well, saying he's a good teacher and a good prophet. He's not a good teacher and not just a good prophet. He is God who died so you can go to heaven. That's what, that's what Christianity is, period. And I don't want to keep harping on the subject, but it always ends up at the gospel where we're at. Goodness. Does anybody have any questions? Because how do you know God's will for your life? That's going to take um, a little bit of, nah, it might not take too much time, but Anybody have any questions? And we'll do that. We'll do that next week. So we'll just clean, we'll keep on cleaning these questions up, and then we'll be going into, going into more. But I think that one's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a little bit. 
not a little bit, but you know, more than what we have, we'll put it that way. And we are close to on time, so we can't dismiss unless there's a pressing question. Okay. Yeah, Matt. We'll do. We're going to watch Rich run as fast as he possibly can. <laughs> Here he goes. Uh, and then we'll, we'll close it off with Matt's question. The, the thought occurred to me, and this is purely hy hypothetical, of course. Um, you said, can a cr Mormon date a Christian? What about, um, let's say someone had a, a child um, that was uh, looking to marry someone, and it was like, well, the, the person's not really, they're not really Christian, but I think they could be made a Christian. Um, is it okay to marry that person? Um, I would say no. Is that, that's what, I mean... I, I would say no, and I'd say this is, the, um, this is the reason why, is because it's impossible for you or anybody else to change somebody. Um, and whatever you say does not carry the power to change somebody, but whatever God does carries the power to change somebody. So what you say and what God does is salvation to that person. So what's going to take place there is that, um, yeah, we might try to, and I would you know, um, even in, in talking with a relationship, I just say, you know what, I can't date you, I can't marry you. I mean, I just tell you, we're on two different pages. And I would discuss that. Why? Because they need the gospel. And then after they receive, if they receive the gospel, you know, um, I would, I would uh, date longer. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would just expand it out, you know, to see where those, those pieces are. We have a, a guy in this church, I, I'm looking around, hopefully, uh, hopefully, hopefully he's here. Um, I had a conversation. Oh, he is here. So, okay. Can I tell you a story real fast? <laughs> I knew you'd give me a thumbs up because I, I know he is. But it, it was the same thing. I was, I, was, I was a Mormon, and I struggled. And as I struggled, my wife and I struggled together. And as we struggled together, he says, I just have to be proven. I have to know for a fact that this gospel or this, this is wrong or this is not right and, and those things. So there's a struggling piece that took place. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I can't get answers. And as he can't get answers, his heart was literally, I'm speaking for you, his heart was literally broken and says, it must be him. It must be Christ. That was not anything he did at all. All it was was God completely and entirely changing somebody's life. And that was God that opened the heart and broke all those walls down. And now Christianity is in the center of their home. And uh, sorry, I didn't mean to just throw you that story out. I won't tell your name. because <laughs> I'll just tell you because it was the most awesome breakfast I had to watch the power of what Christ does to people. And it's just, it's just it's so cool. There's a message, and that message has got to penetrate the heart. And when it does, the person's brand new. The person's brand new. All right, you guys are dismissed. <laughs>